Aloha, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is ESPN College basketball analyst and international draft guru over all these years, Fran Fraschilla. Welcome aboard, Fran. It's a pleasure, Chad. I love when you, I love when I hear that term, dra- international draft guru. Um, it makes me laugh because nobody's a guru when it comes to the draft, but it's fun. It's fun to be able to, you know, look back on the years. Of course, I spent a lot of those with you, and uh, I'm anxious to tell you how I fell into that role because you you've been a part of it and you saw it at the beginning. Yeah, I actually want to start there because yeah. you and I were very early on traveling overseas and and doing some of this scouting yeah. at some Euro camps in Treviso, Italy. And this really became, even though you were a college basketball analyst all year, this really became a niche for you for ESPN and and, and a specialty. Yeah. I, I'm just curious how you moved from being a college basketball coach, college basketball analyst, to being this international expert. Accidentally uh, <laughs> is how I would start. When I coached at Manhattan College, I had a Spanish kid on my team from Madrid who later played in the ACB, and we still stay in very close contact. Uh, before his senior year in 1995, summer of 95, I took Manhattan College to Spain on a tour. And we got a chance to play uh, some high-level teams in August, training camp time. And uh, because of that connection to Spain, I started to do clinics overseas, uh, uh, like my coaches will uh, be apt to do. And uh, so when I got to ESPN, um, a guy that you know well, because he was sort of our boss, more so for me on the college side, Dan Steer, said to me, would you like to be part of the draft? Dan had hired me. And I said, sure. He said, well, I'd like you to do the international players. You were doing .com at the time. And I said, sure. So I went over to Eurocamp. And the first year, Chad, I actually paid my own way and uh, was sitting in the stands. And because I live in Dallas, I know Donnie Nelson really well. And, of course, Pete Philo was a guy that actually played for me at Manhattan College uh, for a short period of time. So when I went over to that first Euro camp, and I think you'll remember you were there, it was summer of 2004. It was Remember we had the big man camp and also the regular camp. Right. And uh, Donnie said to me, what are, you, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going to be doing the draft for ESPN. And he said, well, you're not, you got a coach. And I said, well, I'm just here as a media guy. He said, no, you're coaching. So as you recall, I was the only non-NBA guy for many years to actually be part of the camp. And in all honesty, as it translated to what I was doing on the air during the draft, um, it was a huge help. None of us at the time really understood you certainly did. You were ahead of the curve, but none of us back in the United States really understood um, how the game was changing worldwide. And and so I remember summer of 2004, 2005, 2006, um, a lot of these kids that were at the camp ended up actually getting drafted and playing long careers in the NBA. And we could probably go over many of those names. But I do remember getting off the plane in 2004, and Pete Fywell picked me up, and he said – and, of course, Pete was not only running the camp, but he was also working for the Mavericks at the time and, and Reebok Sneaker Company. And he said, come on, we're going to go see a 16-year-old point guard, uh, Italian kid. And it was the first time I saw Danilo Gallinari, mm. six foot six point guard. And, of course, um, but really that's how the whole connection to the Euro camp started. And it's how my love of international hoops was fostered. And, of course, it turned into a, uh, a nice niche at draft time because uh, – 
I loved the preparation, but I also knew that it was about entertaining people too. And I always wanted to try, of course, some of the lines I've had came out accidentally. Uh, Two years away from being two years away, I can get into that later. I had to patch up a good relationship with Masai Ujiri. But uh, a lot of the things were just uh, my love of the game and also the fact that I was recognizing that, you know, I could have a nice niche on the broadcast. Yeah, you know, it's, I I think that first year, 2004, was the year that Pavel Podkolzin showed up at that at that Euro camp. He'd been yeah. a little bit of a draft sensation the year before, but pulled out for a pituitary. Yeah. There was a, there was a lot, especially in those early years, a lot of the top international prospects were actually there and, and playing. Yeah. It got shut down by agents a little bit later yeah. and it was harder to see those guys. But those early years, there was some real talent on those courts. And yeah. you had a number of clued in general managers and scouts who took the international draft really seriously. And at the time, not every team did. And so you didn't necessarily have representatives from every team really be able to hone in on some of these prospects and get some steals in the draft. Yeah. You and I saw so many great stories of kids that were at the camp. I can think of, uh, you know, uh, Bellinelli playing one game, uh, Goran Dragic. I coached him one year because he had come from the Slovenian championship the night before. And here's a funny story. He gets to the hotel, of course, the one we knew well, uh, uh, the uh, Consiglio Maggiore, he gets to it. He gets to the hotel at about eight in the morning after celebrating a championship in Slovenia the night before. And we know how Slovenians, like everybody else in Europe, likes to celebrate. And he wanted to play in the morning games. And, and Pete Philo, who was very close to uh, Goran, said, "No, go to sleep. You'll play in the afternoon game." If you recall, I got a chance to coach him that afternoon, and I had another guy in the team by the name of uh, uh, Nick Batum. So that was a pretty good team. And, uh, but the beauty of the Euro camp was not that we tried to trick teams, but I thought we did a really good job as a coaching staff to, uh, at, at putting guys in their strengths. Serge Ibaka ran the floor great. Dragic was tremendous in pick and roll. Um, our guy Jarebko was a tough, hard-nosed kid, and he showed that at camp. Um, it was just so many great stories of the camp. You know, Bismack Biombo working out. I'm, I, I cherish those 10 or 11 years, not only because of the watching those kids play, but also the friendships and the connections to, to the NBA. It was a big family, as you know, at the time. And and many of those guys helped themselves and a few occasionally hurt right. themselves. I'll, I'll never forget the line that one general manager said to me when Biombo did a workout, he played one on none and lost, yes. uh, which was, <laughs> which I is a hard thing that. to do. But it, the access yeah. was the other thing, at least for me, yeah. the ability to get up close and personal with these players, to get on the floor with them, to watch them over a three-day camp and combine where everybody was eating together, on the court together. Yeah, It's it's really the dream access that's very, very challenging and difficult to get with, with NBA prospects anymore. The minute that they're out of college or the pros, they're they're shut down and it's it's very hard to get yes. to know them the way that we got to know those those young players at the international level no question i mean i can remember even and i know you'll remember when tomaso satoransky showed up as a 16 year old probably maybe the youngest player that we actually had in the camp and to see him now at you know late 20s maybe hitting 30 playing in the nba is gratifying i i will say this because i had a behind the scenes look and you did too um you know pete Philo, who is a good friend and no longer doing the nba stuff he worked really hard behind the scenes to get the agents and the clubs and the federations to let those kids come to the camp. 
because there was a lot of uh, skepticism among all those constituencies about allowing those kids to come. And, and there was a golden era, I think, of seven or eight years where we had some really, really good players, including Ibaka and others. So I was glad to be a part of it. And quite honestly, Chad, when it came to draft night, it was so much fun to be able to talk about a player that you either coached at the camp or coached against and really got to know at those lunches and dinners. And it allowed me to kind of have a little bit of a, I don't know, inside information, if you will, that maybe other people didn't have, that we had. Well, you also were a college basketball analyst during all of this as well and and did a lot of play-by-play for games and got into practices and got to know college coaches and, and college players as well. There was always, and still to a certain extent, interestingly, a bit of skepticism about international players. There's an extra extra thing that they have to prove. There wasn't in a moment, you know, in the, yeah. the skittish feely moment and in the Darko moment, but once there was a few high-profile busts, yeah. At the international level, the bar was raised. You spend so much. You're one of the rare people that actually spends a lot of time around college basketball players yeah. and the international players. Usually it's one or the other for most of these folks. When you compare them, should there be a level of skepticism with these international players? You, you get to see the development. You get to see it all, Fran. I mean, yeah. how do you stack those international prospects up with the top college prospects that you cover every year? It's, it's a great question, and I would call it translation. You know, like I, I had to learn, like everybody else in the NBA, I'm sure you did too, as to what we were looking at when we watched the international kids at a camp or if you went to a, a, a EuroLeague game or a, a junior tournament. There was a, there was a learning curve as to what really translates from Europe, European basketball to the NBA. And I think early on that's why you saw some early mistakes, you know, because – what looked like somebody who should translate easily didn't. And then other guys w- that we thought would never translate have. And I would, I would say that here's how I, here's how I describe it, Chad. And I watch, I do watch a lot of college basketball. If you play in the big 10 or the ACC or the big 12 compared to the NBA being the major leagues, that's double a baseball. When I look at a kid doing what he's doing in the Euro league now, and again, this translation has developed over the course of 10 or 15 years. The EuroLeague is like AAA. And for example, if we take Luka Doncic, who I didn't even think would be this good. I mean, I, I had eight and number one and Doncic number two. What do I know? But when I look at what Doncic did in retrospect two or three years ago, it's like hitting 400 in AAA. You know, you kind of right. think, you know, like, okay, he hits 400 in AAA. He's hitting 350 in the major leagues. And so when I see a kid average 17 points at Kansas, I think that's, that's good. That's pretty good. He's got a chance, but when I see a guy playing really well in the Spanish ACB or maybe even now France or Germany uh, or the Adriatic League, I, I kind of have a better idea of what the translation is to the NBA than maybe we did 15 years ago. A number of prospects heading to Australia now. Yes. Where does that league translate in, in that? That's a great question for even me because I am trying to figure that out. And as much as I... Have, I've watched every play of LaMelo Ball and R.J. Hampton's brief seasons, careers in, in the NBL. And uh, I've talked to a lot of my Australian friends. I am still trying to figure out that translation because I'm not sure that the league is as good as we think it might be. 
in terms of then saying, okay, this kid's automatically going to be a star in the NBA. Ball or Hampton come to mind. If LaMelo Ball had played, and I, I happen to like his game, and I think he will translate, but if LaMelo had done that in Spain or in the EuroLeague, I'd feel a lot better putting my head on a pillow at night. <laughs> right. And, and I can't tell you that I know that translation yet because I have never seen an NBL game. And uh, so that's a tricky one because I think that's what teams wrestle with. You're right. I think you're. I'm hearing the same thing from general managers. They just don't know exactly, right? What weight to put on it? It's something. It's clear that this is a. There's talent in this league. They're pros. They're professionals. They're they're playing playing against players that are older than them, and yes. at times more experienced than them. And that's all pluses. But overall, compared to the Big Twelve or whatever, it's it's a little bit hard to know. Yeah, and I would say this, with all due respect to Bryce Cotton, who was a really good Big East player at Providence, he's six feet tall and he was the MVP of the NBL this year. So now I, I want to, I, now if you tell me that Juan Carlos Navarro in his prime was the MVP of the ACB and Porzingis is averaging 17 in a league, I have a good idea, as did you, that he's translating. Right. Okay, but I, I, I'm still figuring this one out, which is, which is like everybody else making – my little big board, if you will, very confusing right now. <laughs> Another challenge this year is that the time when most NBA general managers, at least, have a chance to go over and really watch these prospects in depth, that's all gone because of COVID-19. Yes. It's actually pretty rare that general managers were getting over there in November or December or January. That's going to add a whole nother level of challenge for these teams in drafting these international prospects because they probably saw their college prospects more than they saw any of these international prospects. I know a few people went over to Australia early and saw right. LaMelo Ball and what have you, but the rest of the prospects, they're really going to have to rely on their international scouts on this one. Very much so. And you knew the rhythm of the season, right? This, the rhythm of the season for an NBA GM or, or, you know, personnel guy, decision maker was, Hey, I'm going to watch some college games, but I'm really going to concentrate on my own NBA team up until March. And then I'm going to get out and watch March Madness. And then I'm going to get on a plane in early April and in some cases in May for the EuroLeague Final Four and go see the best prospects. And that's been eliminated. And I think one thing that you and I both know is that there are certain teams and, and all the teams now do a reasonably good job overseas because they've had to. But there are certain teams that are able to get the kind of information that I think makes their decision making in, in light of the fact that we don't have this window a little easier for them. And, um, but I still think whether it's a college guy or an international guy, you're kind of flying with one eye open and one eye closed this year. You don't have the great look maybe that you could have had in the past. And then we haven't even talked about draft workouts and combine. Most likely not going to happen. Yes. Yes. Well, it remains to be seen. So we'll, you know, it'd be interesting because to your point, you saw so many great international scouts that work with teams I have a feeling that there are some that are so good that they'll be able to convince their GM. For example, hey, we got to take Killian Hayes if we have the eighth pick, and he's still there. Right. I, I think that's a little bit of an easier roll of the dice now than it was 10 or 15 years ago. I agree. I agree. All right, we'll be back. We're going to ask Fran to tell us who's the top international prospects in this 2020 NBA draft on the next segment. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you. 
And we are back with ESPN College basketball analyst and international draft guru, Fran Fraschilla. Now talking about the top international prospects in the 2020 draft, let's start with the guy that at least has had the most buzz uh, really all year. He plays in Israel. That's part of the buzz. Israelis, as you know, are basketball crazy. They love, love basketball. Denny Avdia. Yes. Very good. Very good. You're better than David Stern and Adam Silver. (laughs) (laughs) Spent some time, spent quite a bit of time in Israel uh, on this one. Where do you have him? Is he your top international guy on your board? And what do you think about his game? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going back and forth between him and Killian Hayes, and we'll get to Killian Hayes in a second because I think they're both capable of being in the top 10. Um, Denny's an interesting kid, as you know, because um, he, he, first of all, he's Serbian and Israeli. A lot of people don't realize that he's got Serbian. His dad was a really good Serbian, Yugoslav, I should say Yugoslavian player who finished like the last part of his career in Israel. Passionate kid. He's six foot nine. He handles the ball. I compare him a little bit to Dario Saric, but Dario's a little bit more of an inside player. Denny's a little bit more of a, of a, of a, of a perimeter wing, small ball four-man. Here's what I love about him. He plays the game with a chip on his shoulder. He's a tough kid. Defensively, Chad, I think he's going to be able to guard two or three positions in the league. Um, he's smooth with the ball. Uh, he's playing at a high level around pros every day in practice. I mean, last I counted, five of his teammates at, at Maccabi this year had played in the NBA. And the interesting thing about Denny this year is he's much more of a focus on the, on the Maccabi team in the Israeli league where they usually dominate and less of a – he's more of a role player when they play in the Euro League. Um, I like him. I see him as a starter in the NBA in time. Uh, probably more of a small ball for when it all comes together for him. Has to shoot it a little better, but I do like him as a prospect. If you ask me to predict where he's going in five years, I'd say NBA starter on a good team, playoff team. I think he could develop into that kind of player. But I love the chip on his shoulder and the passion for the game. Is he worthy of a top five pick in this draft, top ten pick? Well, in this draft, as you know, and I've listened to you you know, talk to uh, – Kevin O'Connor, and I think this draft, I've got to tell you, uh, I don't think any of my NBA friends, I haven't figured out the top 10. I don't, right. I haven't, I haven't figured out the order and I'm, you know, I'm like everybody else trying to, I don't know. Yeah. I top 10, top 10 for sure. And, and possibly top five for sure, but definitely in the top 10, given the fact that this draft has so much intrigue because there is no Zion, there's no clear cut number one. Right. Um, it, it may be a tier of three, but I don't, I'm not even sure about that yet. I just think Denny is a guy that if he's there at five, six, seven, eight, it'll be hard to pass up because he looks like at worst he's got a, a high floor, mm. and I think he'll be a good starter in the league someday. I think that combination of size and the competitiveness yeah. is what really pops with him. This is a very confident basketball player who isn't afraid on either right. end of the court. And, and that, that carries a lot of weight when you're, especially when you're making that translation from international to the NBA, he is not going to back down. He's not going to be afraid or intimidated coming to the NBA and playing. I really like that. I love toolsy guys and guys that are versatile. Like he is. My concern Mm -hmm. is, is there one thing that he does great? Is there one thing that he's going to hang his hat on 
in the NBA. I don't quite see that yet from him as a prospect, and I'm especially concerned when you look at his free throw shooting percentage, Very much which has so. ten, tended to be a canary in the coal mine for what sort of shooter you're going to be in the NBA. If there's one analytic that seems to be proven right over and over again, if you can't shoot free throws, you're not going to be yeah. a three-point shooter in the NBA. And if you can, even if you don't shoot great threes, over right. time, you'll develop it. He, I think he was shooting something like 58%. He was. It's been it's been a it's been a problem all year. And and there are games where I watch and I've watched the stroke. I've studied it. I think as a former coach, I kind of know what I would can, I, like. It's a, it's a shooting stroke, Chad, that I think is fixable. OK, it's not broken. It's it, there's just some adjustments he can make, because if you watch some games, you'll see him run off two or three threes in a row and you get optimistic. But over the course of the season, it's definitely an Achilles heel at the moment. And that's why I don't see stardom. I see starter. You know, if okay. you tell me at 24, he's on the Portland Trailblazers and they're the sixth best team in the West and he's averaging 15 and eight and he can guard threes and fours, I would be happy with that and take it to the bank. And okay. uh, so to your point, I think I think you're right on the money. All right, let's go to Killian Hayes. Yeah. That's Kevin O'Connor's number one guy on his board, by the way. Yeah. I, I love the boldness. Let's. <laughs> there is a lot of herd mentality in NBA draft analysts. Yes. There always is. I, I yeah. love it. <laughs> when somebody just steps outside the comfort zone and says, Killian Hayes. I mean, I think we did that podcast, like most of the NBA fans were like, who? Yeah. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. But, but he is a really talented prospect and he's shown major improvement this year yeah. in, in Germany. Tell us a little bit about his game and, and where you have him on your board. I think if Killian Hayes only had to play the left side of the court, he could be the number one pick. Okay. He, he is, uh, because he is a six foot five smooth point guard who is not, he's not Russell Westbrook athletically, but he's a good NBA athlete, especially for somebody so young. And what really impressed me this year, and, and I see the flaws, and I'll tell you about the flaws in a second, is for an 18, now, right, you know, 19 year old youngster to play a major role on a good German league team. And the German league, Chad, is really improving. It's it's really a, at a level, I think, where France has been with potential pro prospects. Uh, his coach gave him the ball, and they let him play through mistakes. He is an outstanding passer. Uh, to your point, he shot over 80% from the foul line, even though it didn't manifest itself from the three-point line. Right. Um, he's got great positional size for the spot. The, and I think the shooting's going to come around, not concerned about it right now. The one concern I do have is he makes very, very few plays going to his right hand. Right. And that worries me. That's why I think if you play and, – and we both know in the NBA there's no hand-checking, so you can get into the lane. It just worries me that he's so dominant left-handed. If right. You, if, you, if you told me he was going to improve right-handed in the next 12 months, I'd say I, – I think he's going to be an NBA starter – and I think he's going to be a good NBA point guard. And I think there's a chance at stardom, but I just don't see it without that right hand. I think that's that's a great point because you also know that in the NBA, you're going to get a scouting report on you yeah. and everyone's going to drive you right. And and then he's going to have to improve. The one thing that I have up excited about him mm-hmm. is to see the improvement this year. Yes. And it really in a number of facets of his game – he has really put in the work. He's really adapted. He's learned from mistakes. 
He's grown as a player. And to me, that's always been a bit of a telltale sign. If you're going to project a prospect, look at their growth curve on the court. And if there, if there's that big growth curve, then I see the potential for that to continue to grow up right in the NBA. If a player is flatlining a little bit in college and they're not adding things to their game and they're not improving, it's hard to project that when they get to the NBA, that they're going to be able to fix those things. I think it's a great point. And this is why, um, because of my college basketball background, I usually know a lot of guys playing in a league, whether it's Germany or France. And I have already checked with a couple kids, two or three now, who have played in the German league this year and have told me exactly what you told me. And that is, boy, has he gotten better from start to finish. And he plays for a coach that you'll remember his name and maybe remember how good a player he was in the EuroLeague, Jaka Lakovic, a small six-foot left-handed dead-eye shooter from Slovenia. And Jaka is his coach, and Jaka is a guy that had the ball in his hands as a player. You know, when Dragic was coming up, Jaka was still playing, uh, Doncic as a, as a youngster. These are all – he was the hero of these guys. And Jaka gave Killian the ball. And here's another thing that I think really helps him. His dad is American. Deron Hayes played for 25 years. I know it sounds crazy, but almost 25 years. a long career. Yeah. And Killian spends summers in Florida. So he's going to come over here with with the NBA and college guys already on his team and all or former NBA players playing against college, uh, former NBA stars and college stars in Germany and being half American. He's coming over with no intimidation. He's going to come over with a sense of, hey, I am kind of know what it's like. I've been an NBA fan my whole life because of my dad. So one other thing I want to mention to you that I, I know it's going to come up on all your podcasts. There's about five or six kids in this draft that you do not have to do any detective work on. Like when you check with people that know these kids and do the background work, and I'm thinking of Killian as a perfect example, uh, you know, Isaac Okoro from Auburn, Tyrese Halliburton. Killian Hayes is going to walk into an NBA training camp from day one, and whether he's ready to be a star or not, the veterans are going to love him because of the work ethic you talked about, the wanting to get better, the fact that he's going to be a a pro from the day he gets there. Remember, he's already been a pro for three years. High character. Exactly. High character, and that, that matters. This year, especially because you can't do the detective work you normally can. Right. Okay, let's tackle Theo Maladon. Big point guard out of France, protege of Tony Parker. Yep. Teams kind of all over the board on this guy. I've I've seen some teams have him in the late lottery, some all the way down at the end of the first round. Yep. Where do you sit with him? Well, here's what you got to remember about him. Unlike Killian Hayes, who had the ball in his hands from day one, his team, Osvell, was in the EuroLeague, a big deal, which means, and they had a Serbian coach, I believe it was a Serbian coach, which means... They're not worried about developing an 18-year-old point guard. They want to win games if, you're in the, if you want to stay in the EuroLeague. So he was, on a, uh, he was on a carousel this year where they rotated three point guards depending on who was playing well. And so that's a big factor, I think, in what I would say his lack of development. So teams have to, again, figure out this translation. To your point, big, strong kid, um, good quickness. Better shooter than Killian Hayes. This kid has a chance to be a really good shooter. I see NBA starter someday. I don't see him ready right away. I think he's going to be a role player. If I had to do a – I haven't done a top 30, but I would say probably somewhere between 15 and 25. And um, I talked to one of his team. I'll tell you who it was, David Lighty, who was a very good player at Ohio State. 
I talked to David about three weeks ago and he gave me the background on the kid and it all checks out great. Jim Rat wants to get better, wants to learn. And he said he played in a very structured system, whereas when he gets to the NBA, he'll have a chance to show the athleticism. So that's a perfect kid, Chad, who if you've had good, good international scouts and you've been watching this kid since he was 16, you're going to have a better feel for this kid than if you're if you're if your scouting staff and your GM hadn't seen him much. And just watching tape this year. Right. You concerned at all about the one issue that I worry a little bit about him is his blow by athleticism, his ability to get to the rim and the paint. Does that worry you at all? That's why I wouldn't have him going in the top 10, but I would just say, yes, yes. The answer is yes. But remember, there was a question about Jalen Brunson three years ago, having blow by athleticism and, you know, now it's different. There's a question about Luka Doncic. <laughs> That's right. Big That's question. Right. Yeah, very much so. And you know what I learned? And this is something I wouldn't have known this without talking to guys like Donnie Nelson and Tony Ronzoni and Pete Bilo and all the others. Because of the lack of, because there's no hand checking in the NBA, I've been told that even you and I can get into the paint in an NBA game. So, yes, I do worry about his burst. But I, I, I think that'll be accounted for. But that's kind of why I don't see him being an elite, elite player at the top of this draft either. Okay, let's talk about the guy that's potentially the youngest player in this draft. He, he had six days to where he would not even be eligible. He's from Serbia, Alexa yeah. Pokasevsky. Oh, interesting kid because he's, he's so skinny, he could slip through a wet straw and come out dry. Okay, C- Compare he, him to Brandon Ingram coming out. Well, I think, you that know, that level of, I mean, not, I'm not talking about game, just that oh, I got body. It, I got it. Yeah. The, um, I, I think I'd feel, here's what I don't like about uh, studying this guy is you have to go back to the fact that he had a very good under 18 tournament, but not, he wasn't Doncic and he's not Doncic. He is a seven foot skilled three man, um, but he is pencil thin at, at 210 pounds. Now to your point, I had one GM tell me three years ago that when they brought Brandon Ingram in for a draft interview, they were worried when he turned sideways because they couldn't see him. Yeah. And, and I think this is similar. I am not sold. I'm sold on his skill level, but he's so weak right now. I just think he's a, he's to me, he's a draft and stash kind of guy. I'd be willing to roll the dice later in the first round if I just absolutely didn't love anybody there but I'm concerned about his lack of physical maturity right now, mm-hmm. even though he's got good skills. Really high basketball IQ, handles yeah. the ball, sees the floor, stretches yeah. it. There's a lot of things to really like about his game, but you look at him against NBA athletes playing against grown men, yeah, and and it doesn't look like it's the frame either that's ever going to, to really fill out. I'm with and you completely. And so a couple of years in an NBA weight room will help, but it's not going to totally fix this problem. Yeah, I, I don't uh, I have not fallen in love with him, honestly, because I see the frame being a real problem. And uh, now you and I know this. OK, one thing that when you draft a kid like this, you better have if you're a team, you better have a long term plan for him. Are you going to keep him in Europe? And if you keep him in Europe, do you want him at Olympiacos where he's probably not going to play? because they want to win games and he's not ready. Do you, do you take him and put him at a, in a, maybe a, a league like France or a league where he's going to get minutes? So how do you develop this guy is the biggest question a team is going to have if you take a, a shot at this seven-foot kid with a lot of offensive skills. 
Okay, great take. I'm going to give you one more name, and then if you have any others to add, but there's only okay. been other one other name that I've heard consistently as a potential yeah. first rounder. Yep, and that's Leandro Balmaro out of Argentina, playmaker, yeah. good size, excellent passer, high basketball IQ, plays his butt off. What do you think about him as an NBA prospect? I like him. I don't love him. I think he's a little heavy legged. He reminds me a little bit of uh, Nando DiColo when we watched Nando at the uh, Euro Camp. Uh, playing playing in the ACB this year and getting quality minutes for a stretch of the season certainly helped his stock. When I watched him for the Barcelona uh, second division team, where he probably excelled, it, it wasn't a high level of competition. Um, but I, I I could see him going in the late first round. I personally wouldn't. I worry about his lack of speed, but he's he really can pass the ball. If you gave me a comp, I would say DeColo, who, by the way, has turned out to be a great international player. I like right. the kid's moxie. We know Argentine kids are tough as nails and doing what he's doing in ACB. I'll give you this example. I feel better about what he did in the ACB than if I was worried about a kid in the late first round who played well in the Mountain West. Okay. And that's how I would say it. So I could see a team taking him – and again, if you take him, right, you're going to a playoff team if you're taking between 23 and 30. Yeah. A team that will wait on him. So I, I, I like his overall skill level and his toughness. And not a particularly deep draft as well, can I Absolutely. add? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, yep. but when you, when I hear heavy legged and also shooting is shaky, concern as well, that, yeah. that combination, yeah, a little iffy to me. Well, you and I both know that you have to, I mean, unless you're special. As a wing player or a guard, you got to be able to shoot that ball. Right. Unless you're a freak athlete like like uh, like Isaac Okoro down at Auburn, who is Jimmy Butler. He's got everything Jimmy need has, except he's not a great shooter right now. But you're gonna you're gonna roll the dice on that kid because he's such an elite athlete. Anyone else we're missing here? That's an obvious first round prospect for you. No, um, only only you know mid second round. I don't call him a sleeper, but. Uh, a kid named Abdoulaye Endoy, who plays at Cholet in France. 6'7", a little bit older. I think he's going to be 22 when the draft comes around. Mid-second round pick, but he's got good size. He can play pointer the two. He can shoot it and defend. So really good mid-second round value uh, because he's playing at a high level and playing well. Okay, Fran, let's come back. We'll talk about several American prospects that played overseas this year. We're talking about LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton. On the next segment with Fran Fischilla, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we are back with ESPN College Basketball Analyst Fran Fischilla talking about the top pros- American prospects that played overseas in the 2020 NBA draft. And we'll hit you up for just a couple of top college prospects as well. Okay. LaMelo Ball. Yeah. <laughs> I had a general manager that I really liked one thing that he said to me. If you stripped Ball off the back of his jersey and weren't trying to compare him to his brother and all of the hype about that, and if you just were analyzing him as a basketball player, you would like him more than you do when you think about the ball circus and everything that went into that and trying to compare him to his brother, that he's a really gifted basketball player that comes with a lot of baggage because of his family. What do you think about him and his ability to translate his game to the NBA? Well, here's, here's the analogy I would give. Uh, and you said it, 
LaMelo Ball has grown up in the circus. Okay. And you know how you, you ever notice in the, in the circus, there's like the family of trapeze artists and you grow up, even when you're two years old, they've already got you on the trapeze and that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Well, that's how I describe LaMelo Ball because you know, he was going to be a basketball player because of LaVar and Lonzo and the way, you know, taken out of high school as a sophomore playing in crazy playing in Lithuania. That's just absurd. But here's what I would say. Everybody I have talked to about this kid, said he's a good kid. Um, the word in, in uh, Australia was that he was uh, humble, that he was coachable. Now, he didn't always play the right way because he can get a little bit crazy because he's trying to make the home run play, but that he's serious about getting better. And if you and I remember asking Steve Alford about this, and it's turned out to be true. Alonzo um, has turned out to be a good NBA player. You know, maybe he's not worthy of the number two pick, but he he's popular. Uh, his teammates love him. He's an unselfish player. He's improved his jump shot. So I actually feel good about this one, um, that 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 LaMelo is going to turn out to be a really good player. Now, the two things that really worry me, Chad, is he cannot shoot the basketball. It's broken. He's got to fix his jump shot. And the other thing is I don't think he has elite speed. Again, doesn't matter much because he's going to get into the lane. But you talk about gifted passers. He's as good a passer as we've seen probably in the last five or 10 years coming into this draft. The feel is incredible. Yes. And and it's special. It's special, special. And on that end, like Luka Doncic feel, right? Agreed. He just, just sees the game yeah. in, a, in a way that, that's impossible to teach. I agree with those concerns that you have. I also didn't see him play much in the way of defense where Alonzo is actually right. makes an effort on that end. I also yeah. think it's too early to judge Lonzo because I love him on this Pelicans team. And when yes. everybody's healthy and he gets the chance to hit his rhythm, we might, we might reevaluate Lonzo ball on, on this team that he's on. Cause I think he's in a really good situation where no. his strengths are going to yeah. be utilized gonna, to the right ability. And I yeah. think LaMelo could be better than him, frankly. Yeah. I and, think well, he's bigger. He's bigger. He's probably, he's probably a little, little even more creative. And, yeah. uh, you know, here's what I would say about Lonzo as it relates to LaMelo. I'll go back to this. I've, I've checked. Lonzo's teammates love him in New Orleans. And that team started playing better. And believe it or not, Lonzo's actually starting to shoot the ball mm -hmm. pretty well. Fred Vincent's done a great job with him down there, the assistant. And so if you strip away LaVar Ball for a second and you think about what a pro Lonzo is starting to turn out to be, I think there's some optimism there. Now, the only thing that worries me about the whole package, the LaMelo ball package is, will the defense be such a problem that it's going to affect mm -hmm. his NBA team winning games? Yep. And that has to be addressed. And by the way, by a coach and a staff and a front office that will, that will hold him accountable to that end of the court, because I think that his teammates are going to love playing with him on the offensive end. I do too. And I also heard the exact same report back about how professional he's been, what a great person he's been to work with, you know, all of that stuff. I, I really think it's unfair to judge him by the circus and, and his dad. Right. I, I actually love him as a fit for the Warriors if they get the number one pick in the draft, because I, I think he could fit in with those guys and, yeah. and do some things there. I think that's the right system for him. And there's a maturity he won't shy away from that in ways that lots of other players players would. What yeah. about RJ Hampton? Well, you know, RJ's a Dallas kid, been watching him for a long time. Uh, he's a little bit more of a piece of what I would call NBA silly putty. And that is, 
He's an NBA athlete. There's no question about it. He's got good size. I was impressed with him this year when I watched him in New Zealand because in high school, he was a me first, ball dominant, shoot it every time guard, which is not uncommon when you're a top 20 player. I thought he really fit in with his team this year and moved the ball well. I, I don't think he's ready to be a if, – if a best-case scenario, I think he's a good role player in his system uh, with veteran players that are going to teach him how to play the game and continue to. I like his, I like his potential. Like if you told me at 25 he's going to be a good NBA player and a starter on a good team, I can buy it. I think he's just got to – I think there's some – I think he's got to develop his off his shooting – um, his playmaking is getting better, and, and athletically, he should be able to compete any night in the league with his with his. He, he's got the athleticism game. going for him for yeah. sure. Yeah, and, and a little bit like Jared Bayless, maybe when he came out mm -hmm. of Arizona, he's a big, rangy guard. And but again, I don't think he's as ready to help as say Lamelo is. I agree. I think that's a great, great take on him. And I actually think this is a case where him going to a team in New Zealand. And not being able to dominate the way he would have in college where he would have been a blue chip player and everything would have been run for him actually might have been good for his development. Very much so, because when I watched him play, honestly, early last season, I didn't recognize the same guy because in high school in AAU, he was a volume scorer and shooter. And you could understand why. I mean, he went to a regular, normal public high school in Dallas and averaged mm -hmm. 35 points a game. But I, I give him credit. Because, and he's also, from what I can tell, a pretty good kid. A um, little bit caught up in the, the the hype of being ranked so highly, but I, I didn't hear any negative reports from the people I checked with down under. Okay, Fran, we're almost out of time. I want to hit you up with your college sleeper. Who, who's a guy you've watched a lot of these players? Who's a guy that maybe people are sleeping on a little bit right now, or just a guy that you really, really like their pro potential okay, from so the college guy, basketball ranks? A guy that's going to go in the first round, but I think he's been undervalued a little bit is Jalen Smith from Maryland, hmm. six foot 10, very skinny, um, took 200 less shots this year than his counterpart, Luca Garza, who they played against in the big 10, 41% three point shooter in big 12 play this year. The classic stretch, big, uh, athletic runs the floor. Can, when you see the shooting stroke, Chad, you'll be really impressed. And he's got out uh, of the mock drafts, got him somewhere between 20 and 30. I love his long-term NBA potential because he's an athlete, he runs, and he's got a definable potential, uh, excellent skill, and that's his ability to really get a shot off quickly with accuracy. You called and saw Tyrese Halliburton play a lot this season. Yep. Where is he at on your board? You know, it's a perfect draft for him because there's so much confusion about who the top 10 players are that I think this helps him. Um, I, I First of all, there's no baggage. I mean, it's like getting on a Delta, a Delta shuttle from Boston to New York. No baggage. And this kid is an amazing kid. He has a great basketball IQ. He's got a great emotional intelligence. I think he may be right there with LaMelo Ball as far as being the best passer in this draft. He shoots it great. He doesn't have great speed. I'm praying that Phoenix at 10, if, they're, if they stay at 10, He'd be an ideal secondary ball handler with somebody like Devin Booker, who it sounds like Monte Williams is going to play him at the point this year. And here's what I learned about talking to my friends in the NBA, uh, Chad. Uh, you got a guy like Devin Booker or Damon Willard. Um, they've got to take a mental health break while they're still on the court and don't have to have the ball in their hands. 
That's why Tyrese would be an ideal second banana to a really good NBA point guard because he is six foot five and could guard bigger players. I don't think he's going to last a ten, but I think that that is a really good good fit. I also really like him and his feel for the game. Those Amazing. floaters, yeah. Like there's there's a lot to like there. Obviously, he needs to get stronger as well. Yeah. One guy that's ranked really high. Yeah. That you're concerned about. Ooh, uh, good question. Let me think. I got to look at my my list here. Well, I mean, I think the obvious question is James Wiseman because um, I've talked to the Memphis coaches. They swear by him as a kid, but I was disappointed that he left college basketball in January when he could have stayed and played for Penny, um, shown the NBA teams what he was capable of doing. That worries me because I think he's the best athlete in this draft, really. He's a freak, seven foot six wingspan. If you see him run, Chad, he takes your breath away. So I worry about him, even though I love him as a player and I think he's going to go top three, but I'm concerned because right. the body of work is so limited uh, in those three games that, you know, man, it's going to be someone's pulling the trigger in the first three or four, but you're pulling it and you're not real confident. The, you know, he's he's the poster child for this draft in many ways because the t- the potential's tantalizing. There's just not enough information, yep. to really know what he's going to be. And I've heard the same things out of Memphis. He's worked worked hard. Is still working hard on his game. Great kid. Everything. If he's going to put in the work, yeah, and really really develop his game. This is a classic number one pick in the draft, yeah. like a you know, an, an almost a no brainer because of the physical and and athleticism and everything else. But that's such a big question mark right now that yeah. no one knows the answer to. That I, I like that you got to roll the dice a little bit with him and gamble. And yeah. he's also fits a profile of a kid that could also end up busting. I would say one last thing because I've I've heard you guys talk about this in your previous podcast. By the way, congratulations, man! This is great. Thanks. But um, I think in this draft. The kid who's the most is the luckiest. Who are, and I'm not talking about where they whether they go number one or number five. The player that's luckiest is the team at the Golden State Warriors draft, hmm. because you're going to an organization with two Hall of Famers, a great coach, and I, you know, whether it's Anthony Edwards or Wiseman or Ball or Obi Toppin, you go to Golden State, you're going to be in a cocoon of professionalism that I think is going to help your development, no matter who that player is. He's Fran Fischilla. One of the most well-prepared guys I've ever met for the draft. We used to do the draft combine together, and Fran would have an entire book uh, with scouting reports of every guy. He does his homework. You can really trust what he has to say. And you've launched a new podcast. Is that right? World of Basketball uh, through Sirius XM. Yep. And it's not quite, you know, draft stuff. We... Andrew Gaze was our guest today. Tony Ronzoni last week. Ettore Messina next week. Just taking people around the world of basketball and and uh, use it, utilizing some of my contacts to uh, – you and I have seen the globe shrink, Chad, in the last 15 years, and I'm just trying to bring the audience a taste of basketball around the world. The World of Basketball podcast on SiriusXM. Check it out with Fran Fischilla. Great guest already. I can promise you right now, if nothing else, check into the Tony Ronzoni episode. There's There's no way that you will not be entertained by that. Fran, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and love to have you back as we get closer to the draft. And we're going to have a lot of time in between, Chad. So I'll be be delighted to come back. And uh, again, congrats. Take care. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.